Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network, brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family owned and operated, a no pressure, laid back atmosphere, and always home of the free maintenance for life. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. Hey, former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, Highly Questionable, also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome in to episode number 189 of the one and only Hog Talk Podcast, live from the Heinemann Services Studios. I am your host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Porter Hayes, and we appreciate you, as always, for beginning your week with us. If you haven't already, be sure and hit that subscribe button on whatever forum you're listening to. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and a written review. It helps us get our name out there and reach more people. And guys, the show is brought to you, as always by bet online they've got you covered for all the new scores and odds plus the best part it's free to sign up head over to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50 percent off your welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts we're going to recap the nfl draft the razorbacks had one selection being defensive tackle jonathan marshall with the 207th overall pick going to the New York Jets, along with a couple of other undrafted free agent signings. And going to talk some with the baseball guru, Coach Kevin Bohannon, in segment two about Arkansas series win at LSU. But first, I want to welcome back to the show our guest host for today. We have not had him on in a, in a little bit, haven't had to ban him from coming on yet. He is the <laughs> co-host of the third best radio show, <laughs> gracing the ESPN Arkansas Airwaves every day, Mr. Zach Arn. Zachary, appreciate you joining us again. Yeah, third, third to fifth, depending on if you take into account the uh, syndicated shows, depending on who you ask, yeah. <laughs> I figured, How are you boys? Oh man, we're we're great. I, I'd be a lot better if you would have uh, accepted my gift that I was going to send to the station. All those finger foods the other day, you know, even though it would have been more of a jab than a gift. I figured that it would have at least uh, you would have at least had to try something. I mean, surely you don't you, you don't always use that rule about not using your fingers to eat, right? It's a it's a choice. It's not necessarily a rule, but um, yeah, I, I have this. I don't know what it is. I cannot. I can't, I just, I don't like doing it. And, and that, that's one of those predetermined outcomes. I would have wound up on my back in the studio, probably passed out. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that with, with pudding? Burger pudding. Yeah. I lost oh. a bet. I had to eat pudding with my <laughs> fingers. Yeah. It was so gross. <laughs> <laughs> made for a good <laughs> video. Yeah. Yeah. Made for uh, for, for a terrific video. Something that will haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah, and and so again, have a happy belated birthday, and also congratulations oh, on uh, the your Notre Dame Irish. I know they had what about seven, eight guys drafted. They had quite a few picks. Nine, second Nine. most in the draft to Alabama. Yep, Alabama. Yeah, and I think Ohio State and Alabama both had ten. So I, what what's your yeah. take on Ian Book? I don't know that I've actually ever asked you about him. He's a very polarizing, <laughs> polarizing in terms of athletic ability and and way, and way to play the quarterback. It, it, he's a good college quarterback. Um, I'm surprised. I'm shocked actually. I, when, when I got the text that Ian had been drafted, I was, I was somewhat shocked. Um, he's six foot tall. He's a, he doesn't have a big league arm. He's got, you know, if, if you can measure intangibles, he's got all of those kids a winner and he's the all time winning his quarterback at Notre Dame, which is saying something considering some of the guys that have rolled through there. Um, he got better. Um, he didn't turn the football over, which, which was a problem that kind of plagued him his first year, took him to the playoffs twice, you know, hard to, hard to argue with his college career. But when you put him in the national football league, where the windows are tighter, the guys are bigger, the guys are faster, his ability to, to escape the pocket and slide and climb the pocket is going to be tested. Um, you know, it, it was shocking, but if he's going to go somewhere and succeed in a system, say the saints are probably that system. I mean, Drew Brees is about his size. So it's, you know, if you can go in and learn from Sean Payton, you know, he's got a chance to stick around for a while. I don't think he's a, certainly don't think he's a hall of famer by any stretch of imagination, but I've been wrong before. Um, great college player. I'm not sure about his pro future. And Zach, I'm kind of surprised that he went to the saints because they have Taysom Hill and you're kind of drafting another similar style quarterback mm-hmm. like him. So 
I mean, in the who, the other one, Bridgewater. Is that uh, the other Jam- one? They got Jameis Winston. Jameis that's Winston. The, that's, that's the other thing that's so Jameis crazy Winston. about it. Then. And then Hill. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. you got three similar guys, and their arms are the most questionable feature of all three of them. Yeah, and, and if you watch the way the Saints run their 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 offense, it's it's a lot of short passes. They don't. It's a lot of catch and run. And that's what Ian Book did at Notre Dame. Notre Dame was very big on crossing routes, especially to the tight ends. So he's got a, I mean, the, the, familiar, the familiarity with the system will be somewhat, um, I guess I, he'll have some familiarity with it. But Jameis, to me, is the guy. And, you know, he got the LASIK surgery. And as long as he doesn't throw 30 picks, I mean, that's a former number one pick that you've got stepping into uh, New Orleans. That offense, you know, if Jameis is healthy, that offense may not skip a beat. Yeah, and also, too, it's as long as he can stay away from the crab legs, I know that's very popular even down in, in New Orleans, too. And Florida, yeah, really second non, second to none uh, place to get him there. But, yeah, they're still you're still in the Gulf there in New Orleans. So, no, I, I agree. I think that he definitely has a chance to, to rebound. Bruce Arians just with the whole throw it down the field. What, risk it for the biscuit, is that what he says? Yeah. I know, yeah, I know it worked like out that. for Tom Brady. Of course, Tom Brady also had a really good defense and a lot of other good things. As uh, But I definitely think that Jameis, I mean, like you said, he wasn't the number one overall pick for nothing. He wasn't the Heisman Trophy winner overall. The Heisman Trophy winner for nothing. And so – I definitely think with Sean Payton there, I, I had actually been wanting Sean Payton on multiple occasions when the Cowboys have been searching for a head coach for him to come there and all the rumors you hear all the time, but never ended up actually happening. And so, but we'll get into a little more draft talk here uh, as far as the Razorbacks go here in just a second. But I want to talk to you more about our friends at Monster Bass. They have the best new baits from the industry's top brands at affordable prices delivered to your door each month. They handpick the best baits based on where you live and fish along with providing top-level customer service. So head over to MonsterBass.com and use code HOG10, H-A-W-G-10, to get $10 off your first box. That's MonsterBass.com, promo code HOG10. So as I mentioned in the opening, Jonathan Marshall, defensive tackle, went uh, 207th overall in the sixth round to the New York Jets. He'll be joining Robert Soleil's new staff out up there in well, New York, actually in New Jersey, I think is where they're actually based. But guys, I got to say, I'm a little bit surprised. I really did think Felipe uh, would get drafted maybe in the late sixth, early seventh round. He was a talented quarterback. I know that there's some that would say that, you know, with him, at least on the team this year, you definitely had an extra win or two just because of his ability compared to not nothing to take away from K.J. Jefferson. He looked really good against Missouri, but just the way that Felipe was able to grasp the offense, offense and lead it. But I wasn't shocked for Keem Boyd or, or Jerry Jacobs didn't get drafted, Xavier Kelly as well. They all ended up signing free agent deals. But I, I was actually really shocked that, that Felipe didn't get picked. I was stunned until I, I was talking with a scout in, in the league and he sent me a text and I'll read it to you. I mean, verbatim, because I can't believe a guy that size with that size, with that arm strength didn't, didn't because of the premium on the position, didn't at least get selected. But I mean, this is what he told me. Uh, it gets mentally thrown off his game too easily. We'll lose presence in the pocket. We'll rush through reads, runs himself into blitzes. Doesn't appear to have an advanced understanding of the game and it impedes his physical potential. And he sent me six or seven cuts of exactly what he was talking about. And, you know, if they see it, it, it's there, it's a thing. And he's got, um, you know, he'll get a chance in a camp somewhere along the way. I, the, the one, the, the throw that stuck out to me and I mean, he got completely fooled and guys will have this happen from time to time, but it seemed to happen over and over and over again, as competition got stepped up, he had some horrible throws when they played, when he was at Florida and played against Miami and they go back. I mean, they'll go back to his first throw and they'll watch every throw he ever made in college. But if you remember the first, I guess it was in the first half against LSU, he threw a pick that got returned down to about the two yard line. And that ball could have been intercepted by three guys. Um, and he never saw any of them. So there's some, there's, there's a learning curve for him. The physical tools are, are clearly there. Uh, but the mental part of it is I think what, caused him to slip and then ultimately not get drafted. And I think he's going to have, that's something that he's going to have to polish before, uh, before he gets, you know, before he gets to play in the league. Well, another thing is his biggest downfall for Arkansas was he held onto the ball too long. And if you're doing that in college, you're not going to get away with that in the NFL. You know, the time that from snap to throw is almost cut in half. So, I mean, I think that's a lot of the have to do with it too. That, that's one of those things that, you know, we talked about, you know, him protecting the football. This particular scout said he wasn't, it wasn't so much protecting the football as what he, that he got confused. 
and he didn't know where to go with the football. So you just eat it or you just throw it away or something like that. That was one of those things. Oh, you know, he, he doesn't, he protects the football. He doesn't turn it over, which is true. But if you can't advance the football and you need to, you know, sometimes you got to take a chance. You got to let your guys go make plays. And Felipe doesn't do that. He's a very conservative quarterback. It's why his TD to INT ratio was so good. But at the next level, I mean, the guys on the outside are pretty good too. You got to give them a chance to go get it. And that's something that, you know, is it's instinctual for him. And, and he's going to have to take a hard look at it and sort of change the way that he plays quarterback, but he'll, he'll get a chance. A guy that big, that big an arm is certainly going to get an opportunity. Well, and he's in a perfect spot too because he he signed with the Atlanta Falcons, which they just signed AJ McCarron to a one year deal. AJ McCarron is at the point in his career where he probably by this time next year he'll be a financial advisor in Tuscaloosa and just <laughs> live the dad life. I mean, he's he's pretty much at that point. I'm not saying that as a knock. He's just at that stage in his career. He's 31, 32, been an NFL journeyman. He's not your typical one like a Ryan Fitzpatrick that is going to continue to sign with team after team. I really think that his time is limited, but. But the, I think that those are some fair takes. I'm not in any way, shape, form, or fashion close to – I don't see the game that the way scouts see it. So I, I guess I didn't notice a lot of those quite as much, at least throughout the season. But when you talk about when, th- when things break down, I, I kind of saw that a little bit. And partly that, too, was because he just didn't really have the greatest offensive line in the world. But I, I think that he'll have a good chance to compete in, in Atlanta. You got a very good quarterback there, a former MVP and Matt Ryan to learn under. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll make at least the practice squad. But I think the biggest questions are, you know, Zach, we know that Rakeem Boyd came into Arkansas as a very talented back. That It was really more so about his – I think really his whole career that has held him back, it's been more mental. Now, he has been slowed by some injuries, but I think really mentally – and they even said that on Last Chance U. If you go back, a lot of that coaching staff in Indy, now this is just their opinion. I'm not sure how many other people would think this, but they would say he's a first or second round back at that time and I still think that he could have been pretty high if he would have came out last year but Jerry Jacobs is another one very fast really what can he do in the NFL but also there's with him there's the questions the concerns of him opting out when he did and now regretting it and so I think those are two question marks right there that we've seen very very high flashes from both of them but it's just really can they make the best of their opportunity well this is the this is this year's kind of the acid test for the guys that opted out um, you look at the guy like Jamar Chase, he doesn't play Micah Parsons. He doesn't play, but they've got film going back, you know, two, three years in college where they were highly productive. But King Boyd wasn't that productive. And when he, you know, he's often injured, same scout told me, he's like, you're looking at tape that's two years old and the guy's often injured. He goes and he says, you know, I'm going to opt out to go work on, you know, getting ready for the NFL draft. Then you go and you test and you don't test very well. So the question is, what were you doing during this period when you were opting out, getting ready for the NFL. And I think that's where the question started. Look, the running back's not a high-value position. Running backs are dime a dozen. You better have either A, incredible speed, great physical skills, or you better have one of the best work ethics in the uh, in the, in the draft. And he doesn't have any of those. And that's probably, I mean, get beat up by Traylon Smith. I mean, you, you tell me, who, who would you rather have carry the ball for you last year, Traylon Smith or Rakeem Boyd? And, and I think he's, Rakeem will get a chance. I, I, he went to Detroit, correct? I think he yeah. signed the yes. the. the, the uh, the free agent deal there. He'll get a chance. Guys like kind of what he does, but the problem is, is he motivated all the time? Is he going to be healthy? He's, he's an injury concern. Well, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was, you know, in his pro day interview, he said, I felt like I did enough to show the scouts that I was an NFL player. But you look at the, like Zach said, there's, there's no running back now that should be first round. ETN lucked out and went to Jags because of Trevor Lawrence. He wanted to go play with him. And I don't think, being a Clemson fan, I don't think Trevor, or Travis ETN was a first-round back. The biggest drawback with ETN is he don't have that first gear. If you get him out in the flat and you let Travis ETN get to that second gear and go down the field, he's dangerous. But he got bottled up at the line a lot. Um, a lot he got bottled up. A lot of his yards were on those big runs. Boyd got out. He got outran by his quarterback in pro day on the on the forty. Yeah, he, he didn't have the speed, and he didn't have the mental toughness. And again, I mean, what running back? You look at Chuba Hubbard went way down in the draft. The North Carolina running back way down in the draft. So if if those guys with that talent are getting drafted in the second through the fifth round, you're not even in consideration to get drafted. But they're all highly productive guys. Boyd just wasn't. You know, he, you know, if he makes the comment to the scouts, I did enough. You ran for 300 yards last year and he got beat out by a, a transfer. 
he's he's in a tough spot because you're not a you're not a physical specimen. Etienne, you know, the thing with Etienne is is speed. And you know, as a Notre Dame fan, I've seen enough of him. He's got first gear and second gear, third gear for him. He's got like eight of them. Um, that guy was highly productive. There's a lot of tape on him. You know what he is. With Boyd, you know he's injury prone, and that's about it. Um, and then you go in, like you said, get outrun by your quarterback at pro day. Scouts are looking at you. Go, what, you what have you been doing? You know, you, 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 you don't test well on the weights. You don't run well. You know, you, you want to go play in the league. I mean, this is a cutthroat league backs are dime a dozen. And you know, the guys you mentioned, Chuba Hubbard, highly productive. You know, you put Boyd in that category. I don't think so. I want to go back to Micah Parsons. You mentioned him as one of the players opting out, and he's was a very polarizing pick to the end, especially when it's the Cowboys. It's going to be polarizing because they're just a polarizing franchise. But I want, I really liked it. I thought that as far as linebacker goes, they knocked it out of the park with him and Jabril Cox. Jabril Cox was probably a second round talent, or at least around there, like late second, early third, and got him in the fourth round. But they talk about these character concerns with Micah Parsons, but they, the only thing that they can name is alleged hazing uh, in the log. That whole thing that went down under James Franklin a couple of years ago, that can't, that's not had been proven. All the other stuff that apparently happened when he was 16, 17 years old has never really come out. So I don't really understand the character concerns. And I certainly with, don't understand the knocks on his game because the guy runs a four three and is like what he's like two fifty six three six four around there. Mm-hmm. He, I think that he was probably the most complete player, and, and others have said this too. But I certainly do believe that he was probably the most complete player on the defensive side of the ball in the draft. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, the game is changing, and guys like Micah Parsons are. And t- take the kids, Aiden Collins out of Tulsa. I mean, that's a pure old school downhill thumper at, at two hundred fifty five pounds. Guys like Parsons, um, uh, the, the kid from Georgia whose name is completely escaping, Aziz Ojolari, and uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo from Notre Dame, those are big safeties that are now dropping down into the box to play that weak side linebacker spot. Parsons, on the field, you can't argue with it. The off-the-field stuff, and I've, you know, I've heard it. I've heard scouts tell me about it. The NFL has a way of you know chewing you up and spitting you out if you're not a high-character guy. You'll be out pretty quick, especially in today's day and age. The guy's productive and he plays. He's a home run hit for the Cowboys, especially the way they did it. You get a bunch of picks from your rivals. You move down two spots and you still get the best player at that spot. Thing with him is he's he's scheme specific. He's he's one of the, he's a four two five linebacker probably on the strong side. And if you can put him in there, and let's be honest, Cowboys have Lake Vanderesh and Jalen Smith. Those are two high quality potential All Pro type linebackers. So you put him in that rotation, he made your room better. Um, I love the pick personally. And I hate the Cowboys. I, I think it was a great pick. Um, and they finally didn't screw this up. I mean, they, they went about their business the way that you're supposed to. I wanted to ask you about the quarterback situation, especially the first round. And, and what were the scouts seeing in Zach Wilson <laughs> and Trey Lance? I mean, we're talking about film and, and what they're seeing. I mean, is it, are, why do GMs and these teams steep keep on risking their number one pick on all these quarterbacks when half of them don't even pan out. I have no idea. And, and the guys that I talk to say the exact same thing. Look, you got to, you got to draft them in a, or you got to grade them in a vacuum. You can't look at, you know, last year's picks, you know, two years ago, but I'll give you this. We know what Tre- Trevor Lawrence is. Everybody. I mean, you see him, you go, that's the number one guy. Then you back down to Zach Wilson. He's undersized. He doesn't, you know, he, he, he's, he reminds people the way he throws of Aaron Rodgers because he's always off balance, but he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers arm competition that he played against. Wasn't great. So you're, you're, you're really struggling to now you're, you're into projecting where we know what Trevor Lawrence is. Now you're projecting same thing with um, Trey Lance. Trey Lance played one game. He's played one game in the last 14 months and you're going to pick him number three over guys like Justin Fields and Justin Fields is another project. You don't know what he is. The only guy that I think you had an entire book on was Mac Jones. And, you know, I, one scout was saying, you know, that, um, you know, Mac Jones, was he, was he a product of his system having Devonte Smith and, and Waddle and all these guys around him. And he said, you know, every time he threw a ball, those receivers didn't have to adjust once every ball they threw, every ball he threw was on target. It's, it's an inexact science, especially at that position. But I look at guys like Burrow. I look at guys like Lawrence and I know what they are. Those other four guys, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a huge Zach Wilson fan. I, I think that was a they I think the Jets you know, I think they really reached for this. I think they could have gone with Darnold, gotten some weapons around Sam Darnold. I like Darnold. I know a guy who coached Sam Darnold and they really liked him, thought he had a future. 
They just needed to get some weapons around him. Now the Jets are starting over again, which is great for Jonathan Marshall. <laughs> He'll get an opportunity to go in there and play. But, man, I, I don't know. The quarterback position is it's, – it's like drafting an NBA guy. It's just you're, you're projecting three years down the line, what is this guy going to be? Yeah, I never understood. Like, there just seemed to be no explanation – for what I know that they said that, like you said, that about uh, his mechanics and stuff like that against the competition that he played. But, like, I, I did not understand that whatsoever. That Trey Lance, like you said, he only played in one game. Uh, that was that, that was actually against UCA uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but as I will say this with Mac Jones. Bill Belichick put as much stock into him as you could because he's at the back end of his career. He's, I think he's over 70 now. So he's only, he's on, I don't know if I'd say borrowed time, but either way, he's certainly towards the back end of his career and he's got to get it going here. Had a bad season last year. He really does trust in Mac Jones. And I, I think you, you're actually on the Mac Jones train, aren't you? I think we talked about that. I, I like Mac where, Jones. Yeah. I, I really do. I think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback, but I think it's going to take time, but he's landed in the perfect spot. Yeah, with that system, with Josh McDaniels, with the people that they have around him, he's. I mean, keep in mind, Arkansas fans, Hunter Henry's up there. So, I mean, there are guys. I mean, he's gonna have some weapons around him. But I'll, I'll ask you guys this: I mean, you tell me. In 2019, Zach Wilson was awful. I mean, really bad. If you look at his TD to INT completion percentage, he was bad. And all of a sudden, he just found something. Now, you can say they didn't play great competition. If you're if you're the San Francisco 49ers and you're going to give up a king's ransom, and I say you can have a guy that was bad one year and suddenly figured it out, or I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to get a guy who's played 17 games of college and he's only played one in the last 14 months. Are you going to trade everything in your draft arsenal to go get one of those two guys? That's what these teams are doing, and, and frankly, I don't understand it. I think when you're drafting one in the in the top 10, you better get a guy that's going to be a pro bowler day one. And if you're going to, if you're going to play Zach Wilson at uh, Zach Wilson is my size. He's about six, two. He's probably about 205, 210 pounds. That's going to get killed, especially behind that offensive line. And, and the way that he plays is, is somewhat reckless, but I, the Trey Lance thing just completely baffles me. The 49ers had an opportunity. This is what I didn't understand. And you guys, again, tell me if I'm wrong, but you've got Jimmy Garoppolo under contract when Jimmy G's healthy, he's a player. I mean, he took him to a Super Bowl. Why wouldn't you go get the best player available in this draft, not named Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts? You put him on the field with George Kittle, Jimmy Garoppolo, and all of a sudden you've got an offense that can put up a bunch of points. Instead, you basically hit the detonate button and you're starting again. Exactly, because a lot of these, you look at the Chiefs, these two tight end sets, mm-hmm. that would have been a huge set. I'll tell you who's going to surprise me, and he torched the Tigers as Justin Fields. I think he has a chance to be like a Deshaun Watson, a guy who fell down in the draft, felt disrespected, and he's going to go to a team like Chicago. And it goes back to what we're talking about, not having a film. You've seen everything what this kid can do and what he did last year and the success he had. And I don't see how he fell that far down in the draft. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, and I talked to one coach who's who's worked with him a little bit. The thing with Justin Fields is what they do at Ohio State is a lot of one-read stuff. You're reading half the field. The NFL, you've got to make two, three, four reads, and you've got to do it quickly, and you've got to make your pre-snap adjustments. wasn't what he was asked to do at Ohio State. So a lot of what he's going to have to pick up, you're, you're trusting that he's going that the learning curve is going to be short in Chicago for him. Now, they've got Andy Dalton, so he's got plenty of time to, to sort of get, on the, get, on, get in the playbook. But, again, it's, it's like Felipe Franks. It's not instinctual to him. He's, you know, it, in the offense, they ran it uh, – at Ohio State, you're looking at the safety. Whatever the safety does dictates three things that you're going to do at the line of scrimmage. It's not the way it works in the NFL. You know, you're going to have to drop back. You're going to have to know what coverage they're in. You're going to have to read top to bottom, and you're going to have to make those those mental adjustments very very quickly. And I'm not sure if he's day one ready to be your starter. He might be by week six, but I'm not sure day one if he's there. That I thought of. I would have taken Justin Fields in the three spot ahead of Trey Lance. Trey Lance, I don't trust at all. But I, I think Justin Fields would have been a more ready quarterback if the 49ers plan was to hit the, the detonator and start all over again. And Zach, I was going to ask you, I talked about this on Friday's show, and, and I'm hesitant to bring it up a lot because I don't want people to think that I'm poo-pooing on C.J. O'Grady. But I think that I, I go back to him, especially this time of year, because 
I want I try to stress the importance of what your reputation means because clearly with him being one of the best tight end prospects last year and not even really getting a look, not even at least getting – we don't know all the teams that he talked to, but we know that he never got even a tryout or anything of that nature. And so how much of that is – and we look at Trey Knox from this year, from the team now that he, mm-hmm. and, and where he at, is at and, and really trying to make a comeback and just not transferring out, taking the easy way out. So that's a good thing to look at from that regard. But as far as C.J. O'Grady – Surely this is a case that, that we should probably talk about more and let players know, like, hey, you can be the, the most talented kid in the room, one of the most talented on your team, but if you just continue to have these off-the-field issues, this is what is going to happen to you. Yeah, um, don't be a knucklehead is really the – I mean, the, that's the key to this. And I can tell you, you know, in the C.J. O'Grady case, they're going to call your high school coach if you've got flags. They're going to call your coach, and they're going to ask a lot of questions. The NFL, if you have any sort of red flags questions, they're going to vet it very, very thoroughly. And they're going to find out everything that, that you've done or what you, you know, what you've allegedly done. And they're going to get the background on it. And I'm telling you, if those things start to stack up and you start hearing the same story two and three times, they're just going to take you off your board. And that's, that's the danger. I'll, I'll give you an, another example. And, and this, this year should be a real cautionary tale for guys that opt out and want to go work on their draft status. Rakeem Boyd being one. But how about Jamie Newman, the quarterback of Georgia, uh, transfers from Wake Forest to Georgia was going to be the supposed number one, gets beat out, you know, in the spring, then opts out. He's going to go work on his, on his draft status. Jamie Newman didn't get drafted. Jamie, Jamie Newman had a second round grade on him, third round grade, depending on who you talk to. Nobody took him. Why? Well, I'm, I'm willing to bet you, if you go back into his history, there are red flags that start lining up and everybody went, you know, okay, we don't need this in our, in our room. A lot of guys that did that. They, I'll, I'll give you the, the flip side of that is Jonathan Marshall. That's a, that needs a worker. You want to know how he got drafted? Because he's got A, he's got tape that shows that he was a productive player. B, earning red flags. Dude works his butt off every single day. He may not be the next Aaron Donald or Indomitian Sue or any one of those guys, but he's going to get a chance because he's clean as far as you know character issues, and he's a football player. That's I, I'm going to be interested. We're starting to get some data, you know, the last three years with the portal and guys hopping around and opting out and all of this sort of thing. We're starting to get some data on it. And I'll be interested in a couple of years to see if maybe the attitudes change. Yeah, I, I made the point with Jacobs when we were talking about how he said a thousand percent he he made a mistake. And I think these kids don't realize when they have to go do things on their own, it's on their dime. You know, they mm-hmm. don't have a team of coaches holding them accountable what you eat, where you're practicing, and just how hard you have to work on your own. If you're out on your own, you don't feel like doing a workout, you don't have to. And you're in a controlled environment, and especially when you're SEC or a Power Five conference, you have everything handed to you, nutrition, weight room, facilities that can really make yourself better. And there's thousands of people that go to these so-called camps to make them better, but those guys are just out to make money. They're not, I don't think mm-hmm. they're there to really make you feel make you get better NFL-wise, other than they're posting that you're there on their social media. Stick it out. Go to college because you look another one that got undrafted. Dylan Moses at Alabama, who was a killer at Alabama, and a linebacker, and he went undrafted. So he, I, he had health issues, and, yeah. and you can almost well, what see I'm that. At, I think it's going to be like the baseball thing when these kids want to go pro. It's going to turn into if you're not a guaranteed lock for a first round pick, you do not need to. Mm. You don't need to opt out. It's, it's, it's all self-awareness. I mean, no, what made in use Jerry Jacobs as, as an example, now he's going to Detroit too, but you just got beat out by a walk-on. You're, you know, you're a transfer from Arkansas state. You just got beat out by a walk-on. What makes you think at that point in time that you're NFL ready? You know, you, you, people, I'm sure you're, you know, your boys around you, your family, around you, Oh, you know, just go get ready for the NFL. You know, a little self-awareness might be, uh, might be on par here. You just say, you know what? I'm not NFL ready. If I just got beat out by a walk-on. Well, and one more thing is these guys, when they go to these camps and they get ready for a draft, there's a thing called a PR department. They're going to talk them up and tell them what to say. Sure. And these these scouts can see right through that to see if they're really what we call coach speak or kids speak. You know, they're, they're told what to say, how to answer questions. They're probably given a list of questions that they're possibly going to ask them and study it. So, you know, they're getting prepped. But that's where they're kind of being fooled is, you know, these guys are going to invest millions of dollars in you and you don't think that they're going to check or vet you. You know, you brought up uh, O'Grady. 
there was somebody that was down on Dixon Street checking and seeing where he was hopping around at the bars. And that was one of the reports that come out that, you know, they'll check everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's one thing that I definitely did not understand either. What's the? It's it's like you. Whenever he got beat out by Hudson Clark, the first thing that came to my mind, talking about Jerry Jacobs, of course, was how does this even look to the NFL scouts? How does this look to NFL GMs when it's like, well, I just faced a little bit of adversity, so I'm just going to go ahead and prepare for the NFL. Like, I don't know. That's uh, that kind of seemed like it would send a cross message to me. But you know, he he's getting his opportunity, and that's that's really yeah. And, and all, all he can ask for is a chance. But yeah. it would have you know, it's just it's and Jerry Jacobs is is probably a, you know one of a thousand examples. But at that moment, what are you? You just got beat out. What, what are you? How are you possibly ready? for the NFL when you just got beat out by a walk-on. It just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, the kids, they, they want to be treated like grownups. They've got to make, you know, business decisions that, you know, if Jerry Jacobs would have been better off sticking it out because he would have played, he would have eventually gotten back on the field and gotten some tape and probably gotten, I don't know if he gets drafted. I think he ran a 4-3 at his pro day. But, you know, at least you give yourself the best opportunity. I, I just, I think, you know, for guys like CJ, for Jerry Jacobs, for Rakeem Boyd, it's sad because, that, you know, A, the program gets hurt. And then B, you wind up hurting yourself long term. Yeah, he definitely. Yeah, kids, I think these kids don't know how to be humble. You know, they look at a handful of guys that have went into the transfer portal and become stars. You look at Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, you know Trey Sermon that went from mm-hmm. OU to Ohio State. So now everybody thinks that they can go just because they go to another school that they're going to be a star. And then when that doesn't work out, I mean, you're already coming from a smaller school like Arkansas State. And then you come in and get beat out by a walk on that, and then then you just decide to opt out. That is not a good look at all. But I think a lot of these kids get caught up in that shine. They want to go somewhere mm-hmm. and try to be the man, and hoping that they're going to be the next Joe Burrow or Baker Mayfield, and it don't pan out, and they don't know how to handle it. Well, I, I mean, just ask yourself this question: I mean, of the four college football playoff teams, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, how many guys dropped out of there to go work on their draft status? Zero. I mean, they, it's, a, it's a maturity issue. And some of that's going to fall back on the coaches. You do that when you're recruiting. You find, you know, get kids that are more physically mature and ready to go. But, I mean, the really successful programs don't have a lot of this going on. And, you know, and, and for Sam Pittman and his group, man, you're just weeding people out at this point. You know, they were willing to accept bodies last year. Now they can be a little bit more selective. I was about to say, if it's not going to turn into a transfer portal, it's. I, I thought you made a really good point the other day on your show talking about how it's going to be a farm team if you don't start. You don't start mm-hmm. winning because it's. Uh, that's another thing that we're going to have to start worrying about. And in college <laughs> athletics is kind of like what seems yeah. to have happened with the Mike Wood situation. Is and and I, I completely agreed with what y'all were saying. Like I, I don't blame Mike Woods whatsoever. I don't think that it makes him not loyal to the Razorback program. It's you're going to do what you got to do. He graduated. He got his degree, so he's going to play for a program that's probably going to be competing at least for another college football playoff because that's what they do now they get the brakes beat off of them once they get there but they still compete for one every single year so nonetheless but uh but we've been talking with zach arns from the ruskin and zach afternoon show on espn arkansas you can catch them three to seven every single well i was going to say every single monday and i was going to go through all the days but i guess you could just say every single weekday (laughs) Uh, so every Monday, weekday, yeah, three to seven, every, every we are, weekday, we are there whether you want it or not. Whether you want it or not. So beware, uh, that, but they are on there. And uh, some great stuff, man. I'll tell you what, Zach, the the Jake from Harrison, I think is his name. That guy's just <laughs> yeah. added, like he, He's not just making plays. This guy's like blasting home runs and scoring <laughs> touchdowns. The, the, first, the first time he oh, called, yeah. we didn't know what to do with him. We had no idea what to do with him. But now, you know, we get the heads up that he's calling. We just clear the decks. It's like, bring Jake in. Man, this guy oh, is that, phenomenal. That first call had me rolling. I, <laughs> I mean, I had to pull over. <laughs> have a horrible yes. day. Have a horrible. Do, do, we, do, horrible do we know day. who this guy? I mean, you know, normally whenever it's like a you know like a under the radar type person and they don't call under their real name, usually you obviously know who it is. Like, mm-hmm. is it is does he just have this alias or and y'all have no idea? We have we have no idea who okay. he is. Okay. He'll he'll call DQ and and say it's Jake and Harrison. We'll kind of get the high sign. We'll get a text from <laughs> DQ just saying, "Hey, Jake's on the line." Everybody gets bumped off the line. We bring Jake in. He's got Joe Navoka status right now. Oh, man, that's great stuff. It's great stuff. And well, before we get out of here, we got a supporter. I know that uh, softball's got another, well, their final regular season series of the 
year against Missouri. Now, as we're recording, it has been moved to Monday. So uh, when this drops tonight or today and tonight, we'll be having a doubleheader. But got a chance to win the series and get at least a – actually not just a share of the SEC, but they've got a uh, chance to win it all in general the regular season at least. Yeah, they got the chance to clinch it. Uh, and and share. Uh, we were kind of counting on Missouri to beat Florida so they could win it outright with just one win, but Florida come back and hit a three-run shot in the seventh inning, so Arkansas has to win at least one of the next two to share the outright title with Florida, but if Arkansas wins both games of the doubleheader, they will be the outright winner of the SEC. It's so crazy how far that program's come from the early days, I was there for the first home win when it was 27 degrees and the winds blowing around out at the, the old lady backyard next to the hyper building down now out at Vogel park and to see them. I mean, top 10, you know, top, top 10, top 15 in the, uh, in the tournament. It's, it's been an incredible journey watching what Courtney Diefel's done with that group. Yeah, is it, is it eerie similar what Diefel and neighbors have done with their, both their programs based on where it started mm-hmm. and where they're at now. It, very much so. Come on. And, I, I told him, I said, it, it's just watching where you were. You know, Courtney Daffel was 1-23 in, in her first season. That's insane to think about where you're at now. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's just um, – it, it is amazing just to see. And then that's another, just the weekly reminder that we give uh, all of our programs. I got to be honest with you guys, like – I didn't think that they would have a bad season, but I wasn't sure that they could keep it up with this. Not saying that they would have done really well and then just kind of lost it all at the end there, but they have just played at such a high level. Only lost two series so far this season as we head into uh, as as we get through this final weekend uh, and then into the SEC tournament. But well, we're about to be up against a break. But Zach, I I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's always great talking with you. And uh, again, you know, hey, I appreciate you tolerating us for another show. You're actually. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is your third, your third or fourth time. You're, you're my start, third appearance. Yeah, so your third. Yeah, you're starting to uh, get up there and competing with uh, Coach Neighbors and Aaron Torres for the most appearances. So, um, uh, I'm like your personal Don Rickles. Get the call 15 minutes before you're ready to go. Absolutely, let's do this. <laughs> Whatever you guys need, whenever you need me, I'm there. Yeah, oh, man, that's awesome, dude. Well, we sure appreciate it. And uh, again, you can catch them, Ruskin and Zach, three to seven every weekday on uh, the ESPN network. You can find them also on the ESPN podcast network, which we are proudly a part of. We're up against a break. And uh, when we get back, we will talk with coach Kevin Bohannon with some baseball. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the hog talk podcast, part of the believe and hit that line podcast network. With American national, you get a dedicated agent who will help you make well-informed decisions about protecting your lifestyle. Call us today for a free review of your commercial, home, and auto policies, or to learn more about our customizable farm and ranch insurance. Let the Atkins Agency be your agency of choice. You can visit us on the web at theatkinsagency.com, call us at 501-428-0877, or connect with us through Facebook. Go Hogs! Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336 back on episode number 189 of the hog talk podcast kyle sutherland here with you and we are joined by the baseball guru kevin bohannon cabo another great weekend of baseball winning another series on the road last weekend you go to south carolina you play your third straight doubleheader then you play your fourth straight doubleheader this weekend at alex box and now we head back to bomb walker stadium with a series against georgia this upcoming weekend yeah i think it's real funny that three out of the four weekends that we've had double headers are on the road. So I think all these SEC schools are trying everything they can to beat the Razorbacks. And 
the SEC conference, I know we've talked about it probably at nauseum about the co-player of the week and things like that, but there was a related video on the box score yesterday and the, the title of it read tigers earn huge upset victory over number one, Arkansas. If that's not clickbait, I don't know what is because we jumped out to a 16, two lead in game one yesterday after shutting the tigers out on Friday night, seven to nothing. Great performance by Patrick Wickmander. He is our ace bottom line. No questions. He's our Friday night guy. He has finally fulfilled his prophecy, his potential, whatever you want to call it. But he's just locked in. He didn't walk anybody the other night, I don't believe, for the second game in a row. He had six and two-thirds innings pitched, uh, two hits allowed, I believe, or three hits allowed. Two of them were in the seventh inning. The first one was an infield hit. So Robert Moore had a good weekend, but Christian Franklin took – he should be player of the week on a few different Oh, he'll be national, just like you oh, said. Yeah. It's, it's, we, yeah. it, we, we talk about it nauseum saying things. Everybody said it nauseum. He's going to be the co-SEC player of the week. He's locked that up. But I think it's very true that he's locked up the national player of the week. Well, I don't know if he's locked it up, but he'll probably get consideration for national player of the week with 10 RBIs. But, yes, definitely co-SEC player of the week, and it'll be some guy with less stats, lesser stats than him. Yeah, 10, ten RBIs on the road at Alex Box, where, the, of course, the Razorbacks hadn't won a series since 2004. I think we let it slip away. We just came out kind of flat in game three. and We rode an emotional high doing what we did yesterday or Saturday in, game, in the first game, which was game two. We just – we own them. That's the first time that I remember us going into Alex Box, being the better team, doing what we were supposed to do, and dominating. And I know LSU starting four freshmen, and we saw – some potential flashes about how good those four freshmen could be. Dylan Cruz, Trey Morgan, Jordan Thompson at shortstop, and then the, their deep designated hitter in games one and three. So it, it's a younger squad, younger LSU squad. They're going to be good for years to come, but Arkansas is definitely the better team this weekend. We got out of there, did what we were supposed to do, and we'll be number one in the polls come tomorrow. Yeah, and I'll tell you, too, is when you look at Vanderbilt, and it sucks that we're not going to play them, but those two, Jack Leiter and Kumar, Kumar Rucker, uh, without question, two best pitchers in the country probably, definitely in the SEC, probably going to both be top five picks, if not top five, top ten. But I, I look at what uh, Landon Margot the other night just was nails up until, what was it, the seventh inning, just absolutely yeah. dominated the best lineup in the entire country. But then right there at the end, I think it was about the fourth time that he's starting to go through there in that middle of the rotation with Moore and Franklin. He just couldn't get through it. And I think that that's going to be the case with a lot of pitchers. Now, like you said, in game three, I think I don't know if I don't know if it's that we just didn't show up. They may have just come out after because you got to look at it from their standpoint too. Minari was probably in there just lighting them up and saying, "Are you going to get embarrassed like this? Look, we might have lost the series, but you still got a chance to win one game." So that's probably a lot of the motivation that they had there. But overall, I just don't know that at least whenever it really matters because that's when the thing is this team just seems to not lose when it really matters whether it be clinching a game in, in game three to win a series or even winning two in a row to go ahead and knock the series out. They just seem to consistently answer the call whenever things tend to get down to the nitty-gritty and they have to make to, to make a play. Yeah, Landon Marceau, he, he, like you said, he was nails. He was a front-line guy. He came in with a 2.1 ERA, and he located his fastball both sides of the plate, up, down. His slider was good and tight. At 82-84, we just couldn't hit him. But that third time through the lineup, that's when pitchers usually start running into issues. No matter how good you are, batters have seen you twice. They've figured you out, especially with the technology we have now. The uh, D1 Baseball did an article on the win reality system that Arkansas uses. So you can basically put the makeup of Landon Marceau into the software and you can see his pitches. So it was really good for us to come out of that funk and explode for seven runs there in two innings. And I, I mentioned to you guys, he's starting to leave that slider up a little bit. Uh, we're about to jump on him and bam, two runs, five runs, seven, nothing. Next thing you know, cops is coming in doing his job and it's ball game. And LSU's thinking, what the heck just happened? 
Well, and we're running out of things to say about this team just because of the things that they can continue to accomplish. And again, when the pressure is really on, it seems like then that's when they're at their best. But I do think it's warranted to be concerned, particularly about the Sunday pitching. Lyle Lockhart yep. started off the season really good. A couple of weeks ago, we we're talking about him being our most consistent pitcher. And he's had trouble getting out of the fourth inning in his last few outings. And then Saturday night when he started, he was done after a third of an inning. That's the shortest that a starting pitcher has had all year. It may be the shortest that a pitcher in general, including relievers, have lasted all year. But definitely, at least in terms of uh, starting. But uh, on top of that, Connor Nolan, you know, you're thinking that he's going to come in and do something after, what, seven, eight weeks off. And then he comes in and gives up six runs. And you can call that rust. I get it. I understand the people that are defending him because he did come off an injury. But, Kevin, he's just not lived up to it. We thought that we were going to see that. He had a pretty good freshman year with some struggles like you would expect. Then he comes in in the beginning of 2020 and throws that incredible game against Eastern Illinois to open up the season, and then we get shut down. And he he just hasn't had it uh, really since. I I really don't know how long this struggle's been going on, but it's been a while. Yeah, I'll talk about Lockhart real quick and then mention the Connor Nolan thing. Lockhart had 17 pitches, and even the the out that he did get was loud. And he just he's over the plate. They're they're ripping him, and Van Horn is not going to take it. He he needs consistency. He needs you to throw strikes and hit your spots. Him and Zeb Vermillion are kind of in the same boat right now because Zeb didn't really look that great. Yeah, he came in, gave up a couple runs, kept us in it, got some outs, but he he's not pitching up to his potential right now. So. Caden Monk did a really good job coming in. I think he was in there for two or three innings. Kept him at bay, only allowed a couple of hits. He could he could potentially challenge for that third spot. But, at, you know, we've talked about this team, like you said, all the superlatives and great things they've done. We got to remember, taking two out of three is great, but when you get into regionals, you need to win three in a row. Because you win the first two, then somebody's got to beat you twice. So, yeah, three out of four ain't bad. Super regional, two out of three, you're fine. But you don't want to lose uh, a game in the College World Series. If you want to get to Omaha and actually make a run at a national championship, you need to win three or four games in a row. So, I say that to say this. I think we're okay. They'll get it figured out. And now with Connor Nolan, I, I'm all for the guy coming back. I'm glad he's healthy. I mentioned it yesterday as I was updating you know, Twitter during the game. It's good to see him back out there, but you're right. He just doesn't have it. And for everybody that thinks something else is going on and he's not 100%, if, if he's not, Dave Van Horn and Matt Hobbs would not have put him out there. But Dave Van Horn said it best yesterday in the post-game press conference that he's got a long way to go. And that that's the bottom line. That was his quote. Has a long way to go after pitching for the first time in two months tonight. Pointed out that he did not locate his fastball, and that's something that he's got to do or have to be able to do moving forward. You're not going to get through the SEC if you can't hit your spots. And Connor, when he came out of Greenwood, we knew he was a big strike thrower. That was a thing that a lot of even MLB clubs were really fascinated about was that he didn't walk a whole lot of people. His his freshman year, he struck out 55, walked 14. His ERA was a little over four. He had a really good outing against, I believe, number two Mississippi State that weekend. And then last year, he was SEC Pitcher of the Week with 11 strikeout performance in his opening game. He's just, he's just not there. And coming off an injury, yeah, it could be rust, but I just don't think he has it. I don't think he does. I think a lot of other pitchers have passed him up. I do hope he gets back to the point to where he was effective because that's just going to help the ball club. They're not going to put him out there just because he's Connor Nolan and he was good in the past. If, if he can't be productive for this ball club, he's not going to pitch. Look at Blake Adams. Blake Adams made a idiot mistake by punching the dugout after he gave up a few home runs, a few hits, runs, whatever, his last start. He hadn't been on the field since. They have too many talented guys in that dugout with this being the most talented roster that Dave Van Horn has ever had for them to put guys that can't get the job done on the field. And Peyton Powlett gave you a pretty decent outing. Uh, he was he lasted four innings, and when the when he walked out of the game and Costu came in, it was five to two. And he's given you so we talked about how he's been kind of a roller coaster, had some really great games, and then just hasn't had it. 
Where are you at, though, after him? Because it seems like that the Saturday pitching has been really inconsistent, too. You know, Costu usually comes in to try to at least calm things down, and sometimes he does that, sometimes he doesn't. And then normally after that, it's either Bolden or Monk, and, and they've just kind of been wishy-washy, too. But it's not just the Saturday. Before Lockhart started struggling, when we were talking about him being our most consistent pitcher, it was really about who was going to lock down that Saturday spot, and we're still kind of there not knowing who's going to be the consistent starter, but we're also not really sure exactly what to do, and we're leaving, too, on that on that particular day. Yeah, I think Peyton, he'll stay in that Saturday spot. I think he's done enough to prove it that he's one of the top three starters. Maybe moving back to Sunday and then do by committee on Saturday, but it kind of do it based on matchups. I don't know. They're going to figure it out, but Yesterday was a really weird start for him because just think of it from the point of view he's looking at. All right, I get warmed up for the game. I'm ready to go. And then my team puts up a five spot. Okay, so he sat in the dugout for a while. And then we had a couple innings where he sat a long time. That inning right before he came out, he sat, I think, for 30 minutes. That's really tough on a pitcher. So when he came back out there, I was really surprised Van Horn put him out there for the fifth, but they wanted to give him the win. They were up 10 to two, I believe, or 11 to two. I don't remember, but they wanted to get him the W because he, he, he earned it to that point. So it's like you said, we got to be consistent. And that that's the thing that's really put, doing this ball club in right now is some of the pitchers and their consistency and the hitters as well. You know, everybody talks about their strikeout rate. Yeah. That's all in the past right now. But they're lead, They're still leading the SEC in runs, walks, home runs. They're going to be fine. They j- I think it's a roll of the dice now. It's like, okay, who's going to be consistent today? Raise your hand. Okay, you can go pitch. And we, you know, we didn't see Jackson Wiggins again this weekend. Nothing's wrong with him. He's not hurt. It just hasn't been a situation they wanted to put cops in yesterday because they believe they had a chance, just like they did with Auburn on that Friday night game where we lost two to one. Van Horn thought if we can keep them at five, we got a chance. And we saw that we ran out of gas last night, ended up five to four. Speaking of Kevin Copps, it's almost crazy, or it is completely crazy that we're looking at his numbers over the weekend, 5.1 innings pitched. He gave up a hit and walked a guy, nine Ks and 20 batters face. Those are bad numbers for him right now, Cabo. That's insane because he doesn't hardly give up a hit. He hardly ever – you never see him walk anybody. And last week, 12 out of the 15 batters that he faced were strikeouts. So nine out of 20 is, is almost just bad compared to what he's had. His his numbers are just out of this world this year. Yeah, I think it was – You know, I'll give Andrew Hutchinson a shout-out. He said April 17th. He walked a Texas A&M batter to lead off the inning, and then it was something he struck out so many batters, and he just has, hasn't walked anybody or given up very many hits. He's just been that guy. I, I hate it because the LSU guys, the radio guys, because that is how you stream on SEC+. Plus, They were calling it the power slider. It, it's a cutter. Yeah, we know that by now, but he's just unhittable. He, he did give up a hit, a couple hits last night because – they had seen him already once this weekend and they were able to get on it. It was a little bit flatter last night. And I told you, and I was mentioning to you guys, he doesn't look like himself, but I think he threw 60 pitches on the weekend and still struck out nine guys. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. That Friday night, yeah, you, you got to feel extremely good about it. If Wicklander's on, you just use him. Now it's not going to be every single Friday night, that you can go seven, and it's not just gonna. It's not gonna happen that way. We won't get that lucky, or at least I. I say that, and this team continues to prove us wrong in every which way you can think of. But yeah, that Saturday or that Friday night there with Wicklander, and then bringing in cops, you just yeah, that's about as comfortable as I can think of. Really, maybe since I mean, yeah, you felt pretty good about Isaiah Campbell too, but also Blaine Knight. When he was four, I know that Blaine Knight was known for giving up a home run or two, but his 14-0 record speaks for then having Cronin come in after that, which Isaiah also had uh, the luxury of having Cronin in too. But this is about as good of a Friday night as I can remember. Friday yeah, night death taxes, yeah, death taxes and Blaine Knight giving up a bomb. That was guaranteed. So you always knew if you could get to the seventh, then you had Costi Shock or Rindel. It was Costi Shock there the second year, I believe, with Isaiah Campbell. And then we were good to go. I don't care if it, we were up five to nothing or two to one. We felt really confident about that. And that's that's where I'm at right now, too. I know that we have a shot anytime that he goes in the game. 
And we even said if we're down one or two runs, they don't mind putting cops in the game because that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the opposing team's ceiling for scoring runs as long as he's in there. Now, the thing I don't want to happen is we overuse him now to where he's not as effective in the postseason. If you look at his stats for the year, let's see here. I got it pulled up. I apologize, but he has his his ERA is point eight five. In 20 appearances, he's pitched 42 innings, which is third on the team behind Wicklander and Paulette. So he's taken on that starter's makeup as far as his stats go of innings pitched and strikeouts. He's leading the team with 75 strikeouts, only giving up four earned runs in 42 innings. That's that's All-American level. He's going to be All-American on just about everybody's list. But can he sustain? He's got a more mature body at being 24 years old, so hopefully he can hold this up for another six to eight weeks. Kevin, you look at the schedule here, the remaining. So, like I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the segment, Georgia comes into town this weekend. You don't have a midway week game this week because of any cancellations or anything like that. That was scheduled that way because finals are this week. But then you, after the Georgia series, you've got Arkansas State coming into town on May 11th. That's your last midweek game. You go to Tennessee the 14th through the 16th, and then you finish up the 16th through the 21st. Or I'm sorry, the tw- uh, the 21st, 20th through the 22nd. Man, I had those dates mixed up. Let me re- let me say that again. Tennessee 14th to 16th, Florida 20th to 22nd. So I look at this schedule here, and again, as we've said, it's baseball. Anything can happen at any time. Looking at the remainder, you would say, oh, Georgia's probably going to come in just the way that things are looking there at the bottom of the SEC. They're going to come in and do probably what they did to Vanderbilt. But I don't I don't see any of these teams stopping the Razorbacks. I really think that it's Arkansas and Vanderbilt, and maybe I, I'm probably going to put Mississippi State at that, that third spot. I, I think they're really good. I know that they lost to Vanderbilt. They lost to us. But they had that Vanderbilt Series 1. They were up 4 to nothing in Game 3 and ended up losing 7-4 to four between – us or it was after that game with us the series with us that they won nine in a row and so I really think that this team this Mississippi State team is a lot more dangerous than people think but I I think it's mainly Vanderbilt and Arkansas no question and then Mississippi State and then you maybe put like the LSUs in there but I really am not that impressed with Florida Tennessee I know that they've done some great things under under Tony Vitalo I just don't think that they're up there with the Razorbacks and the Vanderbilts yet but they have definitely made some noise they're not, and that that's going to be our toughest series because we go to Knoxville. Uh, they've got a really good lineup, and they're they're they've got front line pitchers that will battle you all game long. So yeah, that's going to be a tough test when we go there. But Mississippi State, they're they're kind of built like Arkansas because they got Landon Sims, who is a power reliever out of the bullpen. He's their version of Kevin Copps. And there's, you know, back and forth on who's better, Sims or Cops. They're, they're two different pitchers. Sims is more of a power guy at 94 to 96, and Cops is a specialist with that cutter. But they've got frontline starters with Will Bednar, Christian McLeod. They're top 100 guys. But, yeah, it's it's Arkansas and Vanderbilt in that order. And then Mississippi State, everybody else. I, I would say Tennessee is probably four number four right there. They, they've had the privilege of playing. I know they had Kentucky this weekend. Kentucky's not very good. But this coming up weekend with Georgia, it's flip a coin, man. They they beat Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt two out of three and then got swept by Auburn, I think. I know they lost the first two games, but it's just their up-and-down team. They, you know, a couple years ago with the their Friday and Saturday guys went in the first round. They, they always can recruit good guys because Georgia is a baseball state, and Georgia is a very athletic state. I know people talk about the football that comes out of there, but considering that's the headquarters of perfect game and you got all these really good showcase teams, you got Team Elite, East Cobb Baseball, uh, a ton of other ones out of that area, and they just they're, it's a baseball factory. They just haven't played real well this year. They've got some young guys, so – I think it'll play out a lot like the Texas A&M series did to where we take the first two games. Hopefully it's not the doubleheader. And then game three, if we are able to keep them under six or seven runs, I think we win it and sweep. Yeah, I've 
like these doubleheaders from a standpoint of it, we've been able to do our podcasts a little bit earlier, get that done, have uh, some, some yeah. Sunday time. That part's nice, but I, I do miss Sunday baseball too, especially last weekend. We didn't have a Saturday or Sunday game. That was tough, but but yeah, it's it's crazy. We're almost to the end of uh, not just the baseball season, but the school year in general. So it's been a, been a wild year, been a great year, but. Well, Kevin, I think that's going to do it for us, man. But uh, thanks for the analysis, as always. And, guys, you can always catch our content, uh, Cabo's analysis during the games, second to nine, um, each game, or at least most games, as long as uh, yeah. it's available. <laughs> then, but, uh, but, yeah, some great stuff there. So be sure and follow our Twitter at the Hog Talk. But other than that, that'll do it for episode number 189. Guys, again, thank you so much for listening. We will see you Friday. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.